0: Welcome to Elevating La Cultura podcast, a space where I talk with Latinas who are passionate about what they do and are willing to share their passion with others to change the narrative, especially for the next generation. Each season is centered around different topics, but all with the Latina perspective. This is season three, focused on education. So vámonos, and let's get into it. Hola! Today's episode with Brenda is filled with so much wisdom, it really got me excited to go through my week. Brenda is a leader in the education space with her involvement in several major groups that are striving to make a difference and elevate Latinx educators across the country. She's also a bilingual second grade teacher and a mom, so you might hear her little one in the background missing her while she's recording. Hashtag mom life. Anyway, our conversation is packed with lots of encouragement, so please enjoy. Hi, I'm so excited to share my next guest of the podcast. I am speaking with Brenda Mendoza, and we have met through CLM, another amazing Latina that I have met through Chicago Latina Moms, and she does so much in the education space, So I'm going to let her introduce herself and talk about the many roles that she has. So why don't you go ahead? Okay.
1: Um, Hello, muchas gracias por um, darme la oportunidad de estar aquí. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Brenda Mendoza, and um, I uh, wear a lot of hats. Um, I I think because I feel like it is my obligation to make sure that I help as many um, Latino, Latinx families and my students as much as possible. And I'm always looking for opportunities and ways to do that. So I think that's why I have all these roles. Um, Everyone always asks me like, how is it that um, you can manage all this? Well, I mean, I do have an extremely supportive family and um, my parents have helped me raise my children. And um, I know like a lot of um, Hispanic families do. And I feel that because of that, I've been allowed to, to do so many things because they kind of they, they know how important the work is that, that we're doing every day in education. So um, my full time job is a bilingual teacher. I've taught um, every, uh, every grade since kinder all the way up to like high school. But majority of my bulk of work has been in elementary and that is really where I found my calling and my passion was was to work with elementary students. Uh, Recently, last year, I was teaching fourth grade um, bilingual and this year I'm teaching second grade bilingual, which I've taught in the past and definitely missed it, missed the primary um, students. Uh, You do speak more Spanish um, in the primary grades and, and I think that that's what I love about teaching second grade. Whereas in fourth grade, they're transitioning more into the English language. So there isn't so much the bridging of the languages. So I miss that so much. So I'm glad I I get to be in second grade and predominantly speak Spanish (laughs) to the kiddos. Um, so that's my full-time role. Um, in addition to that, I also, um, am like an ambassador or an instructional coach in our building. We have like, um, We're trying to really work on um, providing equitable opportunities for students. And so um, our district decided that they were going to um, introduce um, a, it's more like a philosophy. It's called challenge learning, and it it does come from the United Kingdom. So it's just this, this whole philosophy that comes from the other side of the world. But they're doing so many innovative things in education that my district really felt like they would align really well with us because that's what we want to do. We want to be very innovative in what we do in the classroom. And so when I got trained and, and started doing this, I felt as if um, it was going to be a whole lot, but really it just it just started shifting my thinking and my philosophy of teaching from just giving kids information to actually teaching children how to think. And that's what challenging learning is all about. It's giving them the tools to think for themselves. So it sometimes takes a lot longer to teach a lesson, but that's okay because that's what's needed. Um, For example, for teaching math, I don't just put a problem up and, 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 and give the solution, which is pretty typical. We'll, we'll sit there and we have to talk about like the number, a lot of number sense, like, okay, what is this number? And how can we draw this number? How do we represent this number? And again, it's second grade. So that's where they're at. And, you know, really, what does it mean to add numbers? Like, like, what does that look like? And we have all this whole discussion because th- these concept, concepts are so abstract to kiddos, especially second graders, where they are they're starting to add maybe sometimes two, three numbers, like three numbers, that's big for them. They go from first grade to just learning numbers and what they, what their value is to now adding and subtracting. It's a huge jump. And I know as a fourth grade teacher, former fourth grade teacher, that eventually, right, after third grade, they start learning about multiplication and then it's, you know, multiplying and dividing big numbers. So if the kids don't understand why we're doing it, we're going to lose them. So that's, that's challenge learning. And that's another role I have where I'm supposed to help like my team and my school try to implement some of these strategies to really help kids like have discussions about their learning and, and, and really talk about their thinking. And so that that's the bulk of my work, but in addition to all those other things, um, I do, I am a board member for Illinois ASED and what that is, is um, it's an organization that works on providing different types of professional development for educators. Um, my role specifically is uh, being the whole child chair. And so what that means is there's a lot of different um, philosophies and approaches to whole child, but specifically through ASCD, it's a an organization that that um, works on education and you know elevating educators and educational leaders. And um, through throughout the whole country. So we have affiliates in every state. And this year, I think we we just um, have an affiliate in um, Puerto Rico and in Mexico. So we're we're now expanding to the world. And and so we're trying to make sure that all um, everything that we um, believe in and and what we want to see in schools is all very similar. So our whole child approach is just we talk about tenets, and so one of them is is making sure that kids are engaged in the classroom, and we talk specifically how that would look like. Like how can we engage our kids? Well, one way that that we always promote is like having culturally um, diverse literature in the classroom. We really think that that's important. That the classroom. Um, It's culturally responsive teaching that we're reflecting our students in our classroom so that that's a quick way to engage kids in the learning environment. And then we go from engaging, we go to challenging, which I already explained challenging learning is really for for kiddos to Understand how they're thinking. So, yes, sometimes I don't know if you've ever heard of the learning pit, but they're like the creators of the learning pit. And what it means is essentially we teach kids that um, in order for them to really learn, they need to struggle. And when they're in the struggle, that's actually when they're. Building and growing new neurons. So, you know, second graders are talking about how this is how my brain works, and this is how it grows when I'm learning new things. So, definitely, they have to be challenged because if they're not, then they're just learning um, basic information and basic recall, or they're just doing activities. So, so sometimes we really have to know the difference between: is is my child just doing activities at school, or are they really processing? actual learning. So that's the challenge learning. So we've got the the engagement, the challenge, we have the support. So that brings in um, the whole social emotional learning. So that's like a whole other area of work that I do, especially like within uh, my district and through ASCD. Um, I'm always doing like the social emotional learning conference that we do on an annual basis, but that that is all about making sure my kiddos are coming in and they're they're ready and they're empowered for the day so um I talked about the engagement um tenant and then the challenge tenant the support tenant is specifically social emotional learning so it looks different depending on which grade level you are but um We use, like, the castle competencies that that were actually adopted and created here in Illinois. And so it talks all about how students need to have self-awareness. They need to understand, like, their big feelings and why they're feeling them, but also be able to identify those feelings. A lot of kiddos will be like, oh, I'm bored, but maybe they're not bored. Maybe they're just tired or they're frustrated, but they don't have that, like, language to be able to express and say how they feel. Um, That's just one component is to create like a universal language so that our kids in our building um, understand their feelings. So be self-aware. For second graders, that's super important, self-awareness and also being able to communicate why they're feeling what they're feeling. Because eventually you want like as a fourth and fifth grader, you want them to build those real strong relationships. So if we don't teach them self-awareness, they don't actually ever um, start being able to have really good, solid relationships with their peers. And I think that that's sometimes one of the biggest issues in schools is that that's not necessarily being taught everywhere. So as like the whole child advocate, as as the chair, whole child chair, that's my role is to constantly be talking about, are we, are we engaging our kids? Are we making sure that they actually are enjoying what they're doing and they're really um, like growing from what we're, what we're teaching, not just like recalling facts, which is, I feel a way that I was taught. I was just taught to like, here, remember these dates. And it's like, what, like, what for no one ever, like, if you asked me, what are these dates for, or what is this information for? I was never given an explanation. Whereas our kids, when our administration team comes in, they're always asking, so what are you learning why, why do you think you're learning this? And so kiddos right away, they, they because they've been immersed in this type of environment, they'll tell you, oh, well, you know, practicing this reading strategy is because I need to um, know how to read um, grade level text and be able to comprehend what I'm reading and, and, and then be able to learn from reading. And so things like that, that little second graders, seven-year-olds can say, you're like, wow, like this is, this is amazing if we could get the whole like world to, to teach this way. So that's just three tenants. The other one's healthy, and that one's really simple. Like we've I know the state of Illinois has has now um passed into law the 30 minutes of recess. So that's part of it is definitely making sure kids have time to play because children need to play. Um we've removed from like pre K classrooms have a lot of play that they're reintroducing, and kinder is slowly reintroducing play. But little by little, we were seeing um, play be removed from um, the classroom, and kiddos being required to learn to read earlier and earlier without really even having syntax or understanding what that is. Um, so, play is extremely important, um, and that's the tenet of health. And so, we talk about making sure like we have a fruit and veggie grant in our school. So kids are trying different fruits and vegetables every single day. And that's, that's supporting that tenant of health. And then, um, you know, our last tenant, so I said it's engaged, challenged, safe. I didn't talk about safe, supported and healthy. Safe is again, we're trying to, we're having a lot of issues with um, kiddos coming back after the pandemic and really, having a very hard time transitioning back into the classroom. Again, uh, second graders, they've never, my second graders have never had a real like regular school year. Um, For them, kindergarten was the beginning of the pandemic. So their learning was interrupted in kindergarten. And then in first grade, we were trying to figure out what was the best method and way to teach kiddos during a pandemic. But through that, there was a lot of trial and error and now this is still not a very normal school year. We're wearing masks. We're we're separated from our peers and things like that. But but it is the first time that they have like a regular schedule and they can go to art and music and so it feels more n- normal. But it's still not. Um, I don't think we'll ever be back to to super regular. And I don't know if I, we want to. I mean, there's a lot of things that have changed, especially with like us integrating whole child tenants. And I don't know if I wanna go back to just the more traditional sense of teaching, but those are the whole child tenants. And this year we worked really, really hard, the whole child team to um, pass a policy um, with, with a state representative that, that works with the team. And we were able to um, get March declared whole child month in Illinois. So that was a huge win. Uh, we were super excited about that. And that's what we were kind of doing on our free time.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. You you really do fill a lot of roles. And it's so encouraging to see so much good happening in the education space and that people are rethinking education and trying to to think about the child as opposed to just grades and hitting certain marks. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree that
1: that I, I'm so glad that that is shifting. And not everywhere um, do you see that yet. I mean, definitely like my own children, I have five kiddos. And so you do see that at the middle school and the high school, it just seems like they're really, really struggling with with shifting thinking, and it's 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 based on grades. And then you know you get a zero, and kids can almost never recover from that zero. And I don't know if if teachers are really reflecting on that in the in the middle school and the high school, but but our kids are 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 just so tired of of that. And and I think they could be doing more engaging things than just like. You know, getting an A and a B, like what does that really like mean to them? So, yeah, I, I wish I could definitely be at in the middle or high school to be able to to speak on that. And so, hopefully, like some of the high school teachers or middle school teachers come to our conferences and things like that, and and hear us talk about it. And, and even if it's just one, uh, they could start making that that shift and that change um, for their school.
0: Yeah. I know you talked about a lot. And so I want to break (laughs) down each section a little bit more. Um, So you talked about being a bilingual teacher in all of the grades, which is fascinating to me. Um, But I'd love to learn more about how bilingual education looks like from start to like when you... You said that you were teaching high school aged, um, and then there was like a transition to like more English learning. Can you walk us through what bilingual teaching is?
1: Yes, and so uh, in the in, I would say that the most effective and research based uh, way to teach um, bilingual education is called biliteracy, and and I feel like. That's what I was taught when I was going to school with my undergrad and and getting my endorsement. And I really felt like biliteracy actually is equally hitting both languages. So it's almost like the dual language program, but a dual language program, essentially what they do is you'll have non-English speakers and you have non-Spanish speakers all in one classroom. So now you're you're teaching both English and Spanish to 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 non-English speakers and non-Spanish speakers at the same time whereas in the bilingual program typically it's it's Spanish speakers we do have, I know there's other districts um, like the Naperville School District, they already have like a, a Mandarin bilingual program. So it's not just Spanish. And American Sign Language is also another form of bilingual education. And so it's, it's essentially learning two languages. But literacy you really, there's just so much to having like a biliterate classroom. So you really have to have um like I have a word wall and my word wall has to be the it doesn't have to be but this is like the way I approach bilingual education and so I have like my um Spanish words they're one color and my English words are another color so that they're able to differentiate both words but they're equally represented and they're both up there on the board because I always tell them we're bilingual we speak two languages so we embrace both the languages and then um, same thing. Like if I make an anchor chart, it's really important that the Spanish is represented as well as the English is represented, which I did try to do that in fourth grade, but it is it is a lot harder because that's when they start with like the state testing and things like that, where where all of a sudden the English language seems to be a little more important um, than the Spanish, and now I I won't say that that I. Fully agree with that, Um, but um, every district does everything so different. So in in my classroom, like I said, I approach it where I have everything in both languages. If I have a story and I do a story during shared reading, it's in Spanish first and then it's in English um, later on in the week or later on in the day. And that's the same thing with math. Like I will support the vocabulary in both languages. So in our district specifically, we start with... um, in kindergarten, it is all Spanish. So it is it is 100% in Spanish, and everything's taught in Spanish, every subject, everything's in Spanish. And then in first grade, again, it continues to be all in Spanish. Then in second grade, that's where you start seeing the transition of um, introducing the English language with the Spanish language. So that's that real transitional year. And then third grade, you're still seeing that bridging of the languages, the Spanish and the English, Spanish and the English. Whereas in fourth grade, I would say it's more like an 80-20 at that point where 80% is in English and 20% is in Spanish. And then in fifth grade, it's still kind of that model, um, but it's an early exit program. Our, Our district's an early exit program, so kids... Um, are introduced to the English sooner. Other districts do dual language where they, they go all the way to high school. Um, typically, there is bilingual education in the middle school, but the high school in our district, I believe, um, yeah, they have, they have this year, and it's, it's amazing what they've done. They have um, every single subject has a bilingual teacher in it who speak Spanish, which is amazing. So the kids pretty much, they're getting all that that native language support all the way to high school. But I I could say that a lot, the language of the instruction changes a lot as they get older, depending, because if there's a lot of newcomers in high school, I know that they use the Spanish language to support them. So it really just depends on um, the grade level and the need of the student because all our kids are so different. Uh, my kiddos in my class, I think that about half um, predominantly speak Spanish. The other half um, speak both pretty well. Um, I do have a lot of non readers this year just because, like I said, they're, they're, they've never had a regular, normal year. So I, I have quite a few non readers which they don't read in English or Spanish. And they're just learning letter sounds and, and how to like blend words and, and understanding what reading is and that's okay. That's where we're at. But, but I know that they're going to leave reading and, and, and that's what I'm happy about because I already see it, like how much they've grown from like August to now. So that, that's our bilingual program, but every program's different. I have a lot of friends who teach in Texas and again, their, their program would, would probably um, emulate a lot the biliteracy philosophy where maybe I, I would say from kinder all the way up to high school would be in the both languages. And it just depends on what district you're at and what what is the the philosophy that, that, that they believe in and what, what what are we trying to accomplish at the end of the day. And, you know, it is for kids to, to be empowered uh, for me in both languages. And since we have um, those bilingual teachers in those um, classrooms, even at the high school level, I know that my district really does value um, the Spanish language and and values us as well as teachers.
0: That's amazing to hear how much, uh, bilingual education is supported. And can you remind me, you work with, uh, in the Chicago public school district?
1: Oh, I, I don't. I do live in Chicago, but I do not work with the Chicago Public okay. School District. I have been traveling for a very long time all the way to Aurora. So I teach out in Aurora and there is East Aurora is one district and West Aurora is the other district. So I teach in West Aurora and um, we're like just separated by the river. But the way things are we do things are very, very different Um in both districts. But I mean, it's a drive, but for me, it's also just my own. um, It's so important for me to have that drive to just like the drive there. I'm like, Essentially, prepping myself for the day, um, I listen to podcasts. That's how I find your podcast. So I listen to your podcast on the way to work, and um, I also just listen to like just some just call me music, and it's like a form of meditation. But I'm driving, so I, I'm careful not to close my eyes, <laughs> and then, um, just to get ready for the day. And then on the way home, I also have that opportunity to just like decompress from the day because I do have five children and I know they have all these needs when I get home. It's important for me to just almost like, like reset, reset. And so once I walk in, into the door, everything that happened at school, everything that, that, um, went on during the day, it's, it's, it's not gone, but it's moved aside so that I can make sure that, that my kiddos feel that they're important too and not just work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's sure. why I love driving. Oh, yeah. And I say, they always are like, oh, don't you want to work closer? And, um, I do have my administrative license. So I, I could be a principal if I wanted to, um, I've the license, but as of right now, like I, I do feel like being a, a practitioner and being in the classroom and doing that work, especially right now during a pandemic, I think that that's like my calling right now. And, and it, it, I, it would not feel the same if I was out of the classroom. So I, I need to be in there. I need to be experiencing this right now.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's amazing. I want to go back and talk about the, um, I want to talk about the Latinos Teach campaign. If you want to talk through like how you uh, got involved and then what, what it is, that'd be great.
1: So w- what happened was is is it, uh, all these things, just all these connections, they start re- like years before they actually happen. And so in 2015, I ran across this program called the ASED Emerging Leaders. And so at the time I was... Um, I was working on my master's and I was uh, creating like a family literacy program for for our district and in our school. And so it was part of like my action research project that I had to do for my master's. So you had to collect data and you had to do something that would make a huge impact. So I remember um, the, the emerging leaders, like it was something that was emailed to me by a professor or, or something like that. It, it had to be a professor. So when I opened it up, I was like, okay, this is like, what is it? And so it is a program that takes like um, new teachers and really wants to shape them into like leadership roles. And so I'm like, this sounds really amazing. And the application process was, was a little daunting, a little difficult I would say, because especially like I'm, I spoke Spanish first growing up. And so for me I'm I'm constantly always like I think in Spanish and then when I wanna write, it's almost like I have to like translate it and process it. And there's like this whole steps and process I have to do to be able to write. So sometimes I'm not super confident in my writing in English because I I always feel like I'm an English language learner for the rest of my life. That that's that's my I don't think I'll ever master the English language. Um, or the Spanish language, <laughs> for that matter. I feel like I'm always torn. What do they always say? Nida, ni da Yeah, And it's like, it's so true in, in every aspect because I, I don't feel like I've mastered the Spanish language either, but either way. So um, I went ahead and, and applied and I didn't hear anything for a long time. And then all of a sudden um, I get like an email and they're like, you know, you've been accepted as an emerging leader of, of 2015. And, and that was the year and I was like, wow, like this is amazing. And through that, I was able to do like, you know, webinars, podcasts. Um, They they, they have like, again, they're a huge organization. So they're always doing like, um, they do this conference called Empower. And um, it's all about um, the latest and, and newest um, philosophies that are going on in, in schools. And so there's always a platform. We have a platform to be able to speak to other educators and, and um th- they just do so much to, to make sure that we feel empowered enough to, to start taking on leadership roles. So through that, I became a board member for our affiliate here in Illinois. And then um, you start um, networking and connecting with a lot of different affiliates. And and through the years, um, I, I made these really good friendships. They run the, the English, um, I'm sorry, not the English, but the um, emerging leaders of affiliate specifically. So they have like their own like president, vice president, and just their whole board members. So that group um, has some amazing educators who are doing such amazing things in the world. And um, one specific educator, her name's Megan uh, Everett, and she is right now currently working with the White House um, and creating policy. Um, and it's amazing because the, the things she does, is just, so amazing. And then, um, my other colleague and friend, cause they're definitely my friends. They're like my Facebook friends and we just share our families and everything, but, um, we also uh, support each other, um, in, in our professional, um, roles. Her name is Krista and her last name is Lay, Krista Lay. And so she actually has her own consulting, um, um business and it's called like Renaissance consulting but she does everything in social emotional learning So anything that I've ever learned about social emotional learning has come from her because she's been talking about social emotional learning for like what well 2015 that's when I met her right so it's it's been years it was even before it became like popular lingo she was already discussing how that was absolutely necessary in schools so everything i've learned is from her so these two ladies like they um essentially nominating nominated me for this latino teach and essentially they're like okay well they posted in our group but they're like we need you know they're they're looking for like like really like um Hardworking uh, Latino, Latina, or Latinx, some teachers, educators in the field, and they really want to make sure that you have like some leadership roles and and you've done other things, and they're really looking um, to help like promote education, promote like Latinos to to be interested in in going into the education field. And so, um, they tagged me and they're like, you know, we're, we're going to nominate you and you're going to have to fill this document out and everything. And, and, um, good luck. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. But at the same time, you're like, I have so many things I need to do, um, that you're like, do, do I really want to like do something else? And then again, you're always like that whole imposter syndrome where you, you feel like, okay, do I really like deserve some type of this kind of recognition? Like, is it really like that amazing what I do or don't do Like, I, I don't know. Sometimes you just start doubting yourself and you're like, well, it's not a big deal. And why would they like want me or anything like that? So, so I definitely had lots of doubts and you always have that little voice, you know, like I said, I do suffer from anxiety. So I've got that always that voice that's constantly telling me that, that maybe you're not going to have to do something. So I definitely was like putting it off, putting it off. And then finally um I started thinking I'm like okay, everything that I do has to filter through my values. And so I'm like is this going to like, you know, promote the value of being a lifelong learner? Like I always say I'm a lifelong learner. Yes, cuz I'm definitely going to be learning some new things that I don't know. I don't know everything and I'm going to continue not to know everything, but I want to learn. That's, that's my, that's something I strive for every day. And then I said, is it what's best for kids? Cause those are, everything is filtered through them. Is this going to be good for children? And then I'm like, okay, yes, both, both of these important things are getting hit with this. So I, I need to, I need to apply. So sure enough, I, I applied and everything, and, and didn't hear anything. But um, then, when I did, um, it was like well, I, I don't remember their name, but it, he's like the—it's almost like the assistant to the Secretary of Education—like emailed and said that they wanted me to be part of this, and I was like, wow. like, oh my gosh, the White House? No, it's like. I, I like, what What does this mean? Like, what do I do? And so essentially what he said is like, okay, well, I want to collect your story. I want to know like your background. I want to know like what you do with kids and what what you've done in leadership. And, and so essentially, it's like, I'm going to be like, like, um uh, like mentor or liaison to other Latina, Latino, Latinx educators. And so that's how they want to use this Latino teach is, is really, um, they, they talk about, like I said earlier, that one in four kiddos is considered, you know, Latinx, Hispanic, Latino. I say all of them because I do have uh, different families that use different terminology when, when talking about themselves. So I like to cover all the bases. Um, and so, um, we really need more, um, Latinx teachers, and 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 I think I believe that only nine percent of across the nation are Hispanic teachers, and only two percent are Hispanic men. So we really are 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 lacking educators um that look like our kids that sound like our kids that have the same experiences and stories and so i thought this is a very powerful campaign and and i'm, I'm going to be able to be the voice for that so not only will i, I participate in like um they're like um uh discussions so they have like like um discussions with uh, the assistant to the secretary of education and they have like these um uh, panels at different conferences and things like that, but they also have like all these um, prom- like like l- things that they're going to be doing online too. So there's probably going to be like some live streaming, some some conversations on YouTube. So it's just all about promoting um, the work that um, Latina Latino Linux educators do, and and they're helping support that they really want to highlight. Um, all the hard work and all the things that the few Hispanic teachers and educators are what we're doing and and trying to help others join us in doing that work too.
0: That's amazing. That's exciting. Super exciting! I was like, "Oh,
1: do I get to go over to the White House?" No, I'm just kidding. I am kidding. was like, "Yeah, that's my you? first question." <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I didn't ask that, but I, I'm pretty sure that there'll be an opportunity. Um I know with ASCD, they the, the first time we met as as a whole organization, um, they flew us out to Washington D.C. and I mean, there was just so many things happening there. And I remember that was the first time, 2015, that I heard the word growth mindset. And I know that now it's super popular to talk about growth mindset. But Carol Dweck, you know, the, the researcher and a creator of, of growth mindset was there. And it's like, we met her. And that was like, yeah, one of like those moments as an educator where you're like, oh, I've re-, you know, I've read your research. You're amazing. And to now, like, I feel like all that, all these innovative things just start catching on, but it takes years in education to, to, to now it be common language. It took years. It took years to get to that.
0: I am amazed by all that you're able to juggle and accomplish. I'd love to hear, like, what brought you to this place? Like, did you always know that you wanted to be in the education field? Uh, like, what was your experience in your own education life?
1: Okay, yeah. And, and I, I think that's a really important question because that's definitely what has driven me my whole life. Um, so, I was uh, born and raised in Chicago. I know my parents um, lived in Pilsen, maybe my first year of um of my life but um like all parents they're like okay well we need to we need to find um somewhere to live where where you know she she can have like more opportunities and things like that um and so we moved to Cicero which was essentially across the street <laughs> you know like moved to Cicero and and in Cicero um I mean at home I was really just sheltered from everything that was happening outside at the time. Cause this was the early eighties and, and there's just so much going on, especially in the town of Cicero um, that, that I didn't know about. And so my parents really tried to shelter me from that. My mom always like read to me in Spanish and spoke to me in Spanish and encouraged me to watch Spanish TV. And for her, it was really important that I kept the Spanish language then again, for my dad, it was really important that I spoke English because he's like that's the language of this country and as a first generation um Latina here I- in this country, it's like boy, the pressures that that are put on you is like and early on you feel it. Like you had to like you were carrying all your ancestors and all your like everybody like on your shoulders and and it was like it's you you got to do this like there's no there's no other way you have to like break through all these barriers and really um make a like like a difference in in this country and so early on I could tell because my my dad education was so important to my dad and he would tell me from like the get-go from being um a five-year-old like and telling me, like, you got to go to college. It's really important. Like, you got to go to college. You'll be, like, the first, you know, like, to go to college. You have to go to college. It was just, like, so important. And I, I knew that there was no other option or any other way. that That's that's what I needed to do. Like, there was no question about it. But um, it, it was a really rocky um, start to my education. I um, started in kindergarten in Cicero and in the school was called Burnham Elementary and it's still there. It's still, um, they, they're doing amazing things with bilingual education. I love all the things Cicero School District is doing currently for bilingual education. Um, Cause I've, I've met with a few of their leadership team and it's such great stuff. But at the time, right, there was no support for me. There was no support um, for me in my native language And because my dad had been speaking to me in English, I had a sense of, of understanding what my teacher was saying. And I had a little bit of know-how, how to communicate, but, um, there were so many things that happened that first year in kindergarten. It's like, first of all, like there were only two other kiddos that, that spoke Spanish or that looked like me. Everybody else was completely just like. Just white and and spoke English and and that was that was Cicero at the time and then I remember my teacher was just not super patient with us I, I I'm pretty sure it was just like lack of um, training of what to do with with um, you know Spanish speaking students and so I remember like um, at one point I, I became like the translator for my teacher and I was always translating to the other two children who had who didn't have as much English. Um, And I was like, what am I learning? Like, I remember thinking that, like, what am I learning if I'm just constantly translating all day? And then um, the strangest thing happened is, like, my teacher just, for whatever reason, didn't think that we were either learning fast enough or we were just not learning at the same pace as my peers and so I remember that she like like put us in a different classroom. and I really didn't like understand. I was like, well, am I gonna get support here? Like what's happening? And so I like being like, you know the the good little girl, like I wasn't really telling my parents anything until my dad's like, "So how's school going?" And it was almost like I had been holding on to it for so long, and I'm like, I'm not with my teacher anymore. I'm in a different classroom. I don't know what's going on. And I don't know what happened. He's like, whoa, 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 what do you, how long have you been in another classroom? Like what is going on? And so, because I couldn't give him those answers, he did go with like his little bit of English and he went in there and he was going to advocate for his daughter. And that that's probably where I got my love of advocating for others because my dad was like, Oh no, Oh no, you're not doing this to my daughter. And so he went in there and he's like, "What what's going on? Why did she get like why is she not in her regular class? Like what's happening?" So what had happened was that the teacher thought that we would thrive in the sheltered special ed program. So she thought that because we like were learning a different language that for some reason we had a learning disability. And my dad was so upset. And he's like, you, Monday morning, my daughter is not going back to that classroom because obviously that teacher does not, you know, support my daughter and, and, and doesn't want what's best for her. But she's going to be in another kindergarten classroom on Monday. And sure enough, Monday, I think me and my other two uh, friends we were we were in the same classroom again, but we were with another teacher, and it was because my dad was like, "No, this is," you know, he knew that like you have to go through a process to qualify, you know, for for um extra support and all this, and he didn't know a whole lot about the world of education, but at least he knew that like, wait a minute, like there should be steps that take, and I should be able to authorize. This movement or this move from classrooms, and and he knew he didn't, and and I, I was glad that that he he did advocate for us because I wish I would have told him sooner that, that that was happening, but but that is definitely like when my um like passion for helping others started to really take hold. I, I feel like it, it started right there as a five year old. I learned that I was. Different, and for whatever reason, the world was not okay with my differences. So it, it was really difficult to 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 rewrite that narrative as an adult because you're like, no, that that's not true. Like that's that's not true. Not everyone feels this way, and what you have um, to offer, you know, is important and valuable. But it, it it took a lot to rewrite that that narrative. And um, but as I was going through school, like. I always felt like I needed to tell a story. And so for me, it became about like, I wanted to go into journalism and I wanted to be a writer. And and all of this was a way for me to, to, to share my experiences, but also like, look what's happening in the world. So I really wanted to share. That was like my big thing so I did I went to Columbia College and you know I was there for a couple years to to be a journalist and to be a writer and then finally I got like the opportunity to actually work at a newspaper I was working like at the old life newspaper it was like from Berwyn Um, and then I realized like wait a minute like this is not making like the impact I want like right now like there there's just so much that goes into like writing in a newspaper and getting a story and it just was it just was not fast enough for me and so I decided like I need I need to do something else and then I remembered like my experiences in school and that was always something that just kept coming to the forefront like like you know that little voice telling you hey like you're this is where you're needed like you need to you need to start looking into this and sure enough when I just finally started to really listen to my inner voice. I was like, I I need to, I need to be an educator. Like th- that is how I'm going to like make immediate impact. And sure enough, like I started working as a teacher assistant. Like I've worked every single job in education, like from bottom to the top. And And so I was a teacher assistant and I I learned from some amazing bilingual teachers, Sandra Geska. She was like my mentor and I still talk to her to this day, but I remember like seeing her in action and just being so passionate about bilingual education and being such an advocate for her students. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, I don't want to teach in a ed classroom. I want to teach with students who speak the language I was born speaking and who are learning the language, but I'm going to make it like so that they feel super supportive and they're they're loving every minute of it because I don't want anyone to ever feel what I felt when I was 5 years old. And so that's it. That was that was my calling, that was my passion and and it w- it was hard. It was really hard. There was a lot of um things that get thrown in in to to detour you from what you want to do and things like that. Um, I, again, I go back to how much I loved writing, but the fact that professors all the time would be like, oh, well, you know, you got it. You got to work on that writing. You got to work on your writing. And, and you're like, gosh, like uh, that's always been something where, again, you got to quiet that voice because I was able to get two masters and write two master thesis. And my writing was not a problem at that point. So I was like, you got to shut those voices down. And, and push through, and you can actually do anything that you really set set not your mind but your heart to.
0: Oh man, that your story is amazing, and I know that like this is what you've met are meant to do, and I I love hearing the journey that you've been through and how it started like you knew this was going to be your passion since you were so young (laughs) and I'm just so grateful for you sharing all of this and for all that you're doing. I know that, yes, you said it takes a lot of time for actual change to be made in the education space as a whole, but it starts with individuals, like doing what they can to make a difference. And I know we talked a a little bit about the importance of representation. And I'm just so thankful that you are taking the initiative and showing people and um, that you're in this space. I want to ask if you have any encouragement or advice for the next generation of educators or leaders or even parents that might need help advocating for their kids?
1: Yes. So definitely for parents, I I think that this is one of, you know, another one of my passions, but it's all mixed into education. And I always tell parents that, you know, you are your child's first teacher. Like it's you, you start with that. And um, I try to tell them and, and explain like, how there's, there's this project Juntos from, from California. And I I don't know if you know this, but California did, it was like proposition seven, six, six, something like that. It was like, it was like a seven. I I used to know, no, six, two, two, it was six, two, two, proposition six, two, two. And they removed the Spanish language from every single classroom throughout the state. And this was this this is not in practice anymore, but it was. So this this whole proposition took away the Spanish language, and so what teachers started doing is they formed this called Project Juntos, and what that did was create um, a space to help parents understand like the language of 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 what was happening in the classroom, so they could essentially help support the Spanish language and the content in the curriculum at home. And so we tried really hard in 2010 at, at Greenman to, to do something very similar and it was so empowering to parents and and I just I just really want them to to know that 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 you your voice is so powerful that you have to advocate for your kids and you have so many rights. And um, to definitely um, push through and and do what's best and and what your heart is telling you to do for your kids, and so um, that's what I say to parents. And it's like if your school doesn't have you know a literacy um, workshop, you know maybe talk to a teacher that's passionate who wants to start one, and and definitely that that makes a huge um, impact. It's it's like it's the bridge to the parents. And that's absolutely necessary in order for us. It's called academic socialization involvement. And that is actually what makes the most impact when parents are involved in their child's education. It's that they know the same language we're using in the classroom. Um, For future educators, um, I always go with what my dad used to tell me. He would be like, you know, man, it's really, really hard to change the world but you know what's not hard, Brenda, is to leave it a better place, and so that's what I'm going to leave everybody with: that that you don't have to like go and join a board, you know, and 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 advocate, you know, um, for for different causes. You don't, you don't have to do all that. What you're doing in the classroom, that is power right there, and so. Don't forget that every single day that you're in there and every single day you're you're impacting your students, that you are making a difference and you are leaving the world a better place little by little. And so don't forget that.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's so powerful. Um, Thank you. Uh, I am like ready to go for my week (laughs) after hearing
1: all that you shared.
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, for the listeners, we are recording on a Sunday night, and I'm ready to go for my Monday morning. I am so appreciative that you have taken the time to speak with me, and uh, you you need to thank your family, too, with uh, your five <laughs> kids, your husband, like... you all being very quiet. <laughs> I appreciate... Yes, and I appreciate the fact that you have a lot going on, and that you took the time to speak with me for the podcast. I really want to elevate educators' voices, um, the Latina educator voice, and I want to bring more representation and show people that, like, the Latinx community is out here and we care and we are trying to make a difference. And if we can like continue sharing each other's stories, we can collectively make a difference because we can see that more people care and we can collaborate and we can, like you said, leave the world a better place. Uh, so I appreciate your time and all your words. Thank you so much. Thank you
1: so much, Karina. Thank you for having this podcast. Like I said, it's very empowering to hear the stories every day on my way to work, and I am just like so grateful, you know, for for the opportunity to to be here and and be able to share um, one story <laughs> of yeah. educators. Yeah.
0: Um. Do you want to share where people can find you like or if they want to wanted to reach out to be part of some of the the um things that you're part of definitely definitely
1: so if you are interested in learning more about the whole child i definitely have um my instagram i think is is where i do focus more of of work that's happening in the classroom and across the state um it's at maestra mendoza and I do have a YouTube channel, and I've got like a Twitter, and all of them are at Maestra Mendoza. And so, if you want to follow and 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 listen and learn different things, like I'm, I'm I share a lot about my family, but I also share a lot about what's happening in the classroom. And and um, yeah, I, I would love you know to chat with
0: all of you <laughs> more. Yeah, thank you. I will definitely include the link. In, and all the links in the show notes and at the end of the youtube video for so people to check out that'd be wonderful. um thank but you. yes thank you so much i hope you have a good week rest of your you evening and a good week and um i appreciate you so much you too
1: thank you i appreciate you too all
0: right bye, bye. I'm so proud to know her and all that she's doing to advocate for our next generation of leaders. I'm so thankful she took time out of her weekend to talk with me. It's amazing to learn about all the things that are shifting in the education space. Okay, amigos, thank you so much for listening. There'll be a new episode every Tuesday. So after you listen, feel free to take a screenshot, to post on Instagram and tag at elevating la cultura or send me a DM. You can also comment on our YouTube video if you're watching online. I always like to hear from people and how they resonate with the stories that I share. So, leave a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get more ears listening to these stories and continue elevating la cultura. Alright, enjoy the rest of your day, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening, y nos vemos next week. Adiós!